0: Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Good morning, good morning. Hey, I want you to make sure and get this out of your bulletin this week. Next week will be our Christmas musical and you never know whose life will be touched and changed forever from receiving an invitation. I was on a plane flight back from Texas and sitting next to a guy and he just started sharing uh, his heart with me and the next thing you knew we were able to tell him about Jesus and he gave his life to Jesus right on the plane. You never know who is just waiting to hear the good news, and this is an easy opportunity to bring someone to have a great uh, evening or a great morning of a Christmas carol, but then to hear the gospel as well. So make sure you grab one of these in the bulletin. There'll also be extra ones. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Hope you had lots of family time and food, and I heard a good one this week speaking of being thankful. A pastor came home and saw something under his wife's side of the bed, a little box. He opens it up, and it's got six eggs and $1,000. And so he's intrigued by what this little secret hidden box is. So he asked his wife, honey, what, what's this box all about that's under the bed? She says, well, that's your preaching box. He said, really? He said, explain it to me. She goes, well, every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the box. Well, the pastor was super encouraged because there were only six eggs. He's thinking, "Wow, thirty years of preaching, every week sermons, and only six eggs—six sermons that she thought needed to put an egg." He goes, "So, what's the thousand dollars?" She goes, "Well, every time I got to a dozen eggs, I sold them for a dollar and put the money in the box." <laughs> so hopefully, that this won't be one of those sermons this morning for you. I uh, was able to be with my family. Uh, and my my parents and uh, my sisters as well, their family, but we had a a great night one evening. I went out camping with my brother-in-law and I took my boys, he took his boys. We sat underneath this big oak tree around the fire sharing stories and my brother-in-law was my closest friend starting uh, when I was 18 years old. So it was so touching that here we are going camping in the same place 22 years later And now having our boys develop the same kind of deep friendship that we've shared for these couple of decades. And, you know, truly deep friendships are one of the most precious gifts in our lives. And I want to talk about that this morning as we're coming to the conclusion of our relational reformation series. Because if you talked about epic friendships in the Bible, certainly in the top five, you would uh, denote the friendship between Jonathan and David. So we're going to be looking at their story this morning, and if you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18, that's where we're going to be. And, and we make note of how this friendship started after the the really famous story where David kills the giant Goliath who had been threatening the people of Israel. And We come in the first verse of 1 Samuel 18, it says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, remember Saul's the king, David goes out, slays the giant, he comes back and he's talking with the king, it says this, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. You have to remember that Jonathan was King Saul's son, in fact he was heir to the throne. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself, and I thought we should study what this word. He became one with them in spirit. It's not something that you hear often talking about friendship, but the word for to become one is the word kashar in Hebrew, and it literally means to be knit or to be bound to. And you know, we probably don't think a lot about knitting. I, I certainly don't, as a, as a manly man. But uh, let me just show you. This is uh, I, I think if I if I have the right. Blanket. This is the blanket that Stephanie's grandmother knit for us when we were married. She gave it to us as a gift. And, you know, if you think about a a woman sitting with, uh, uh, I don't even know what they're called, kneading needles, needles, knitting needles. There we go. Thank you. This is uh, what she did, you know, two, two different pieces of yarn that you're pulling together. And, and if, you, if you look at this, you start pulling, uh, trying to pull on this. It's, it's really strong. Uh, this is how Jonathan's heart was said to be with David. It was actually knit together. Think about knitting something together. It, it takes long. That's why it's such a precious gift when someone gives you a, a, a blanket that's been knit together. And, and, you know, this is very different than how many relationships are in our day and age. I, I, I've, I've been so disheartened by watching how quickly relationships can be torn apart. Very different from the relationships I, I noticed that my parents have had. My, my parents, and I was just back in, in their hometown, they still have many of the friends that they had from elementary school. From junior high. My parents are 65. My dad's about to retire. I, I think back, and, and so oftentimes when I'm back visiting my parents, I'll see their friends, and these are the, the same friends that they've had since I was born. And these same church friends, they've been walking together for years, checking in on each other, praying for each other, contending for each other. This is relationships that are, are knit together. This is a time-old principle as, as old as the ages, juxtapose that to a way that we fasten things together very commonly in this day and age. Can someone tell me what you think this is? Velcro. Uh, Velcro was invented only several decades ago. In the, in the late 1950s, someone came up with Velcro. Now, Velcro, interesting, it doesn't take the same amount of time to put something together, right? I mean, there you have it it's uh, adhered to each other, but in a moment, look at this, it's pulled apart. I would say that many of our relationships in our modern day and age are not knit relationships, instead they're Velcro relationships. The second one thing happens that's challenging or hard, the second someone says something offensive, all of a sudden you find these relationships just pulled apart. Can you think of your life, and would you evaluate for a second, do you feel like you have more knit Relationships or Velcro relationships. Because God is wanting to birth in this church true deep friendships. And what it says about David is this and Jonathan, they became one in spirit and he loved him as himself. So I want to discuss this phrase for uh, a few moments this morning. He loved him as himself. How do we love someone as himself? We're going to notice as we study through the life of Jonathan and David several demarcations of true friendship. Let's start in chapter 19, verse 1. It says this, So Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Saul becomes very jealous of David because of what David had done. David slayed the giant. Saul should have done it himself. He was the king. He was the champion of Israel. Instead, David goes out, slays the giant, and Saul becomes jealous. Can I just tell you that one of the greatest destructive forces in friendship is jealousy. One of the greatest things that will destroy a friendship is jealousy. And so Saul actually says, let's put an end to David. He tells Jonathan and the attendants to kill David. It says, but D- Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. Is the microphone giving a lot of feedback? It is. Can I have the handheld, please? Someone have it. it? says, he was very fond of, Of David and warned him my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you Be on your guard tomorrow morning go into hiding and stay there I'll go out and stand with my father in the field where you are I'll speak to him about you and will tell You what I find out Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him let not the king do wrong to his servant David He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Let me say that point number one is a true friend protects. A true friend protects, I'd encourage you as usual to take notes this morning and to evaluate your life and actually to add these principles into your daily practices. Have you ever been protected by a friend? One of my favorite stories from my younger days was when I'd actually done something stupid, I was in high school, and I badmouthed about one of the seniors. I was a sophomore. I was trying to be cool, so I was talking bad about this guy to his girlfriend. I don't recommend that. We'll make for a good story. This guy was upset, rightly so, and after class, I was uh, just socializing with some friends, and right when the, the warning bell went off, Uh, He tapped me on the shoulder. I spun around. And the next thing I knew, I had about eight big senior football players surrounding me. And this guy gets in my face. He points at me and says, you were talking bad about me. What am I supposed to say? (laughs) Uh, No. No, I said, "Ah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And my heart is pounding out of my chest as I think I'm about to get pulverized. By these eight big football guys. And and they're kind of circling in on me. I'm thinking, man, this is all over. This is not going to be good. The next thing I knew, out of nowhere, one of my big senior friends steps up. His name was Scott. He was always the most kind guy. He extends his arms like this and single-handedly moves the eight guys away from me. He goes, hey, guys, you don't want to mess with Robert. Let him go. That gave me just enough time to slip out of there and go and dive into my classroom. You know, I'll never forget it as long as I live because Scott put his body in harm's way and he risked his reputation to protect me. You know, that's what I want to be. I want to be a protector for people. And I'm not just talking about physically protecting people. I'm talking about protecting people's hearts. I want to talk about protecting people's reputation. I want to talk about protecting people's relationships with one another. Are you a protector in friendship? A true friend protects another another. I think about another time where I had a kind of a tabloid gossip newspaper. It was in the beginning of my ministry as a college pastor, and this group had a really uh, nasty spirit about them and, and, and wrote all these lies about me, went on to the university where I was ministering and passed them out to thousands of people and then took this kind of tabloid gossip paper and the lead article was about me and all these lies about things that I had never done and things that I had never said. But they started putting them in the actual official campus newspaper dispensers. And I had a friend call me and tell me about this. His name was Zach. And he said, I'm so upset that they're doing this about you. This is all lies. He goes, I'm going to go around. I've just gathered several guys. We got together and said, this isn't right. So we went to all the dispensers, took all the stacks of paper that were unjustly put there anyway, and got rid of them. Wow, that meant so much that that guy would do that. In fact, that knit our hearts together. I want to tell you that Zach is still one of my closest friends to the day. He lives in a different state, but we talk probably every other week. Are you a protector of people? I can tell you, if you've been protected, your heart is thankful, and you feel knit to the person who stood up for you. Let's be true protectors in friendship. Let's continue on in 1 Samuel 20. It says, then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. I mean, you can tell the protection that Jonathan gives to David right there because his father knew not to talk bad about David to him. Are you the type of person that people won't share news or gossip about other people because they can tell how loyal you are? You know, if you're a person that's always receiving gossip, you ought to question why people think they're safe to share gossip with you. I'm about to start preaching here. Are you a person that people are always sharing gossip with? If you are, you have to ask, do people really think that you protect other people? But watch this. I love it. says this, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Why? Because point number two, a true friend will serve at great cost. Jonathan said, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do it for you. Let's continue on in the story and watch what happens. So David hid in the field, and when the new, feast, the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall. Opposite Jonathan and Abner sat next to Saul, but, Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought... Something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he's unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brothers ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. This is why he hadn't come to the king's table. Verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, this is the father, Saul, speaking to his son, Jonathan, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Does he realize he's insulting his wife when he said that? Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Do you understand that Jonathan is serving David at great cost to him? His father's saying, as long as David's living, your kingdom's not going to prevail. Jonathan realizes that, but is serving him nonetheless. Why should he be put to death? What has he done, Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. The father throws a spear at his son. That's what, it's called an anger problem in a family. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. That is like one of the understatements of the whole Bible. You have to understand that true friendship is very costly. Jonathan got yelled at. He got scorned for standing up for David. Jonathan had a, uh, a spear flung at him. True friendship is going to cost you something. Can I just tell you that? If you have this expectation from the beginning, when things are painful, when things are hard, when things take effort, you won't be surprised. True friendship is costly. I I remember back when we were living in the inner city, of Texas, we had some people try to break into our home while we were there it was It was pretty scary. They tried to knock down the door. Then I had another guy who we had taken in off the streets and we were trying to rehab him. He had ended up pulling a knife on us, so we had to kick him out. He had shown back up, so it was just a a, a very uh, concerning time in our life. Joel Sanders who's now our youth pastor for our church, sitting down here on the front row, Joel actually uh, was willing to come and stay. Uh, all our bedrooms were upstairs. Joel was willing to come and stay in our downstairs bedrooms, or bedroom, he only needed one, Two? oh, uh, we only had one, uh, to, to provide an extra measure of safety for my family. Can I just tell you, my heart was knit with Joel that he'd lay down his life to defend us, to serve us, to protect us. But that was costly, Joel didn't have to come and put himself in harm's way. But can I tell you that I I understood at that time, man, Joel, this guy will take a bullet for me, literally. glad he didn't, because now he's my children's youth pastor. (laughs) Youth pastor and superhero, all the parents feel safe with you now, Joel. It's a little (laughs) plug for our youth group. Uh, Let's keep going. It says, in the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. Jonathan and David had worked up a signal to denote whether Saul was actually trying to kill David. He said, if I shoot these arrows past you, then you know that it's actually true. My father is going to to try to take your life. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, is not the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned it to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this plan. Only Jonathan and David knew. Verse 40, then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone, and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Can I tell you, the next point is this, a true friend expresses affection. A true friend expresses affection. You know, one of the things I learned in my home is to express affection, that people need affection. Let me break it down for you in several ways. First of all, it says that that Jonathan and David, they saw each other and they bow down to each other three times. Now, this isn't very common in, in our American culture unless you grew up uh, in a more Southeast uh, Asian culture. I was at Mitsu and Hannah's wedding recently, and uh, Mitsu is originally from Japan, and it was, it was so touching to meet his parents, and when I met them, his, his mother immediately looks at me in the eyes and then bows to me. You know, I thought, wow, how honoring is that, how different it is than so many of the ways that we interact in, in, in just our very casual, normal American Culture. I think there's something to be learned from different cultures. That's one of the reasons I love having a very multi ethnic church because God has deposited different characteristics of Himself in different cultures that we can learn. Amen? So I love this honor that the, the Asian culture bequeaths on other people. Felt very honored when she did this, but, but maybe that's not your culture, and I'm not saying we all need to start bowing to each other when we come into church. But what I am saying is maybe in, in, in normal, uh, just kind of mainstream American culture, this would be looking at someone and saying someone's name. It means so much when we say someone's name, or it would mean extending your arms and saying, hey, hey, and coming up and giving someone a big hug, and then doing it again. You know, how would you feel if someone looked at you in the face, said your name, and then gave you a big hug? You'd feel welcome. You'd feel noticed. Can I tell you one of the most demeaning things we can do in a relationship is to not acknowledge someone's presence? Have you ever walked in a room before and no one even acknowledged that you came in? That's one of the the most harmful things we can do to kids is to just act like they're not there. There are many people with deep pains in their heart because they weren't acknowledged. This is something so important for us. Me and Steph, every time our kids walk in the room, we, we say hi to them and we say their name. Every time we see them for the first time, Whether we had just seen them last night, we asked them to come and we wrapped them up and give them a big hug, right? Now, we can't uh, go back and undo everything that your family of origin did or your parents did, but I can tell you, we can with this church purpose to heal people's hearts that have not felt welcomed or acknowledged in life. One of the things I learned from my parents is when you're sitting at a table and someone walks up, stand up and greet them. It's the honoring thing to do. We want to be a culture of honor in this church. I want to encourage you to welcome people. I want to encourage you to notice them. I want to encourage you to stick out your hand and shake their hand when they come in the room. And it's not just expressing affection through just acknowledging someone and bowing down. Then it says that he goes and kisses uh, they kiss each other, and, and, and this isn't that common either in, in American culture, but I can tell you if you've been in other countries, I remember going into Turkey, and the, the guys grabbing me, my friends grabbing me, these big guys, and going, woah, mwah on either cheek, and I thought, wow, that, that's so loving. I remember this one guy kind of being weirded out by it, and I said, hey, man, it's just normal. Just, when the guy comes out, here we are in Turkey trying to reach the city and, and trying to plant a church, I was like, just... Just do the little cheek and kiss him on the side of his face. He was this big, gruff guy. He's like, man, it's so hard for me. But the next, big, the next Turk that came up grabbed him, but he didn't quite get it. My friend didn't quite think it through. So he turns and goes, Mwah. and I'm looking at the Turk go like, as his lips are just going on this guy's. Mwah. I'm like, ah. Oh. So I gave him a lesson in Turkish kissing after that. Um, You know, I I think what what would be the the appropriate affectionate response would would be hugging. And um, let me just talk through it. People need physical affection. Uh, Many of the studies show that the reason so many teenage girls uh, are given to promiscuity is that they didn't get the right physical affection from their father. You know, we need physical affection, and if we don't get it, we'll typically go to a wrong place to get it. So I I just want to take a couple minutes to give some uh, healthy physical affection 101 for all people's church, okay? Uh, You might not have ever been equipped on hugging. I'm going to do a little equipping for you. Um, First of all, hugging is good. Uh, But secondly, don't hug people you don't know. I, I, I remember these two guys that were, you know, wanting to show the affection of Jesus. So they started going around campus. They, they were getting their lives changed in our college. They started going around campus trying to give hugs to everyone. It, it started to weird people out. I remember they, they were determined to do it for everyone. A big football player walked out of the shower with only a towel on. Uh, this guy goes up and goes, hey, man, give me a hug. The football player turned and punched him. Um, when, when we give hugs to people that you know, okay, And when you do that, don't do it uh, with huge needs in your heart, like, you know, I just need to, I just need something from them. Give a hug to bless someone else. And and let me give a a real important equipping here. Uh, No opposite gender full frontal hugs, okay? Why? I, I shouldn't have to explain this, but when you like full frontal hug, you like put your whole body on someone, not very appropriate. Um, give instead the saintly side hug, is what I call it. The saintly side hug, uh, invented by St. Francis, I'm sure. Go up to the side, put your arm around them, give them a little, uh, and then let them go, okay? People, people need that kind of affection, but they need it done in a righteous way. And, and we want to be a, a church that gives that, that kind of affection in a righteous way. And don't hug people that you can tell don't want to hug you. Right? Don't use this as an excuse. You know, all of a sudden you're looking across the room and dream weaver, walking up. and You know, <clears throat> we want to use affection to, to esteem worth in people's lives. The, the, the second thing, though, I see in this verse is it says, they kiss each other, but they wept together, and David wept the most. You know, a true friend mourns with us in our time of need. This this past year I lost my grandmother. I had grown up in her home. She was a second mother to me, one of my, my closest relationships. And the people that touched me most deeply were not the ones that called me and, and gave me big pep talks, but instead the ones who, who called, asked how I was doing, and could tell were deeply broken for me. I remember getting a call from Jonathan Lair and him just saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My heart's just been breaking for you. He didn't try to try to coach me on anything. He tried didn't try to give me a pep talk. He just he just was there grieving with me. You know, uh, uh, about a month ago, we talked about uh, Des and James on our staff who, who lost a child through a, a late-term miscarriage, and they just talked to me so much about how their hearts were ministered by Kelly Braswell, who just went and sat with them, just gave them the ministry of presence. And whose heart was broken. And if you've ever been with Kelly in a time of pain, he just cries for you. They said we couldn't have felt more loved. You know, a true friend will actually mourn with us in our time of pain. When's the last time you actually cried for something that was going on in a friend's life and not just your own life? That's the kind of friend I want to be. That's the kind of people that we want to be in this church. Now, here's another interesting one. The next point I have is a true friend communicates their commitment. A true friend communicates their commitment. Look at this, 1 Samuel 20, verse 42, as we're going on through the story. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. If you'd uh, reverse a handful of verses in verse 16, it says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. You know, we need to actually affirm our commitment. We need to clarify the commitment in order to have committed friendships, or what I call covenant friendships. But before I go there, let me just... Make note of three different types of friendships because it can be confusing, you know. What kind of friend is this to me? So I want to just go through several of these different types of friendships. The first one is casual friends. What's a casual friend? A casual friend is someone you see at work, someone you see in your neighborhood, Maybe someone here at church. And, and what casual friendship means is when you see them, you say hi to them. You greet them. You know their name. You might make small talk. Wow, it's raining again in San Diego. You know, these are the type of people that, that you are what we call friendly with. And can I just tell you that that's good? It's good to have casual friendships. That means that you are a friendly person. I want to tell you that a healthy person has lots of casual friends. Why? It means they're outward focused. How do you make casual friends? You might make eye contact with people. Some of you, years ago, your parents told you not to talk to strangers. And you've done a great job following their advice into your adult life. Can I just give you permission once and for all? Talk to strangers. The Bible tells us, talk to strangers. Go and preach the good news to all creation. Now, if you're, if you're under, you know, maybe 12 in this room, uh, still follow your parents' advice. I want to tell you, talk, talk to strangers, otherwise you'll never see people brought into the kingdom of God. But we should be friendly. How, how, how do you be friendly? You, you do kind gestures. Stick out your hand and shake hands with people. Open the door for people. Ask people how they're doing. That's how we have casual friendships. I want us to be a church where people cannot come in and and just slide in the back and go unnoticed. That's not a healthy family. Let's be a church that notices everyone, that greets everyone, that affirms people. People desperately need to know that they're wanted and liked that's, that's being a, a casual friend, and casual friendship is good, and you should have numerous casual friends, especially if you come to a church like this. It's a bigger church. Uh, number two, they're content friends. I call them content friends. It's a peculiar name, but what I mean by this is that you actually have uh, meaningful conversation, meaningful content to discuss, what kind of friendship is this? This is the kind of person that you could take out to coffee and actually share what's going on in your life. This is a person that you'd invite to lunch after church. And I, and I hope that you do that. I hope when you see people, it's right to initiate with people. How do you have content, friends? You initiate. I, I, I've met many people that say, I don't have any friends. And I'll ask them, well, do you initiate with people? Do you go up? They say, well, no, not really. Can I tell you, you won't have friends unless you initiate. Step up. Let me, let me show you what to do. Let me model it for you. Take your right hand and extend it at a 30-degree angle. Down. Not, not too much so that people think you're about to punch them. But about right here, look at them in the eye and say hi. I mean, that one word right there will revolutionize some of your lives. Okay? Look, I, you can do it. I know it's hard to keep eye, t- eye contact with people, right? It's like those when you try to put two magnets together. You're like, you know, this... <laughs> focus <laughs> extend your hand you can do it <laughs> right if you really have a hard time then serve like serve at the, at the front doors or serve getting coffee it'll force you to see someone it'll force you to talk to them right uh, and some people that's how they feel most comfortable and that's how they build the best friendships is they serve because it forces them to do that but I want to tell you no one in this room should not have content friends just go and initiate. I want to tell you, people want to know you. God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. So there's great things in you that we need to know. But we need you to initiate. Okay, if you're always running off, it's going to be very hard to catch you and be your friend. So stay still, even when it's hard. If it, one of the secrets is just get a cup in your hand. It'll make you more secure. I'll see like a 300-pound guy. If you put just a little cup in his hand, all of a sudden he feels secure. It's like we can hide behind our cup, right? right? I'm just being really real. I'm trying to teach us how to have healthy friendships. A content friend, and here's how to do it have a conversation. Most, most of our parents, I was very blessed to have parents that taught me how to have a conversation. They explain a conversation is like a tennis match. You take the ball and you go, Punk, how are you doing? The other person answers, it's more like volleyball because you take you get the ball and you go boom I'm doing well and then another person in and this has been a good week and then and then poof, and you, you you throw it back right or hit it back but What I tell my kids is when someone asks you a question no one word answers How are you doing? Fine. Well, you just the end of the conversation. Well, good, right? No, you say fine, I'm doing well. It's been an interesting week. You know, I got a speeding ticket this week. Give someone something to talk about. Oh, you got a speeding ticket. Bummer, how much did that cost? Oh, $300. Oh, wow, have you ever got a speeding ticket? I mean, you can talk about nothing, but our hearts are getting connected. Okay, when you have a conversation, serve a question, no one word answers, give a little detail, and then what do you do? Ask them a question. Okay, I'm just teaching you how to have healthy conversation. So I tell my kids, because I'll say, how are you doing? Fine. No, look in the eyes and give more than a one-word answer. And then force yourself to ask them a question. And sometimes I ask dumb questions or I say dumb things and I'm like, why did I say that? Right? Have you ever had, just said something dumb and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so such a dummy. But at least you're talking. Some of us don't want to say anything because we don't want to seem stupid. But then we don't end up having any friends. And then we are stupid. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Here's the last one. Covenant friends. Covenant friends or committed friends. I, I was so touched years ago when, when my mentor, Jimmy Seibert, said, Robert, I just want you to know that I'm committed to you for life. I thought, Wow. You know, because we experience these Velcro relationships where, you know, all of a sudden you're like, man, I think this person likes me. And, and all of a sudden we're hanging out and then one thing happens, right? One, one bad day and, and then the person just, and you never see them again. They just leave you. They, they've just disappeared. Kendall last week called it ghosting, that all of a sudden someone's just a ghost. They're just gone in your life. And he said, we need to be holy ghosting which is full of the Holy Spirit connecting with people, having these knit-together relationships. But I want to tell you, knitting something together is a very purposeful, and you need to actually have a, a, a communication clarification. Now, the first time you meet someone, you don't need to covenant with them for life. You know, put your hand under their thigh and make a vow. That would be super awkward. But there comes a time in a relationship that you, you've talked to someone and you've known them for, for, for a good amount of time, for months on end, and, and you realize you're getting close and it's right for you, you to say to them, you are my friend and I deeply care about you and I hope that our friendship can, can deepen or maybe it's someone that you've been friends with for years and you just want to say, hey, do you know that you're one of my closest friends on earth and I want to walk throughout life with you? You know what that does to people? That provides security. Security. And we need to know who's committed to us in life. And our friends need to know that we're committed to them. How how do you have these kind of covenant friends? I just want to walk you through, because I said at the beginning of this series that my prayer is that everyone in this room would have at least two committed or two covenant friends. And can I just tell you, you can't be that way with everyone. Don't feel guilty if you can't, be that way for everyone, because you can't commit to everyone. I mean, there's a reason we have smaller families, because we need to give our best. I need to give my best to Stephanie, and I need to give my best to my kids, and so I have a limited amount. Do you know that Jesus, he was God on earth, and he only had capacity for 12 covenant friends that he walked with, that he actually clarified that relationship. That's God on earth with 12. You're not going to outrun Jesus. Okay, so you, you can't be a covenant friend with everyone, so don't feel guilty. But you should have several. You should have a handful. So how, how do you develop those? Number one, let me just talk you through this. Number one, pray. If you feel like you don't have good friends in life, I want to tell you, pray for covenant friends. It's what I did. It was one of the first things I started praying for. I realized that I made a mess of my life because of the company I kept. I was around people that were such bad influences, I wanted to be popular, I wanted to be in, that I was always doing bad things, and then I realized that when things got bad, our relationships just tore apart, so I said, God, give me godly Christian friends. The Bible says that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, we know that we have what we ask for. Is it God's will that you have deep friendships? Is it God's will that you have deep, biblical friendships? then you know if you pray for it that he'll give it to you. But you might not have it because you might not be asking for it. The Bible says ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. I want to encourage you, ask for deep covenant friendships. Just start asking. He wants to give it to you. Number two, take the mindset of Jesus. You can't have a deep covenant friendship unless you become more like Jesus. Here's the mindset of Jesus, Philippians Chapter two, it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. If you're always thinking about yourself, if you're always just thinking about self-promotion, you'll never have those committed friendships because friendship is about laying your life down for someone else. If it's always about you, you'll never have true friendships. People might act like they like you as long as you're being successful, but the moment you fail, they'll leave you because they were only connecting themselves because of your success. But if you take on a selfless mindset, and you serve others, then you'll have true friendship. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. If you want covenant friendships, learn to serve. True friendships come through serving. As I serve someone, they experience the true love of Jesus. Do you know that covenant friendships are impossible outside of the love of God? Because only through the love of God can you love someone unconditionally. Next, be intentional. Be intentional. Say, be intentional. Uh, it's something that's missing in our culture. It's something that's often missing, especially here in Southern California. We, we just want to relax. We want to chill out. We want to have an easygoing life. And If you're going to have great friendships, you have to be intentional. You have to be focused. Start spending time with the kind of people that you want to become. Start spending time with people that you want to be like. Find the people that are most like Jesus and say, I'm going to purposely be around them. You've got to be intentional. You have to initiate. Right? I love what Kendall said last week. There's party goers and there's are party throwers. Right? We need to be the party throwers. We need to invite people over to our house. You say, well, I don't have a great house. It doesn't matter. Right? What people want is a great heart, not a great house. Right? Start, start inviting people out to lunch. Start, start spending time with people. Start walking over. Don't isolate yourself. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Know that anytime you isolate yourself, you're falling into the trap of the enemy. Anytime you draw near to community, you're walking in God's will for your life. Be intentional, be a part of community. One of the best places to, to find friendship is in a small group. That's where I found my best friends in college. We had a small group that met together every Wednesday night at 11 p.m. That's pretty late. We have life groups at 7, so you don't have to do that. But I want to encourage you, get in a life group. I I meet people all the time. They say, well, I don't feel very connected in church. I say, are you in a life group? They'll say, no. Well, you can't just have a relationship with a 1,000 people on a Sunday morning. You need to get in a small group, sit and have a meal with them. Go. You are responsible for stepping into that. You can do it, and God will bless you. The Bible says give, and it will be given to you. Give of your time. Give of your resources. Lastly, clarify your commitment. You know, I was just thinking about that with uh, with Jeff Bianchi, our, our, our new family's pastor. It was so touching to me when Jeff said, hey, Robert, I just want you to know I'm committed to you. And, and I want to be a great friend to you. And any way that I can help carry your load in life and make you a success, that is a success for me. You know what that meant to me? I thought, man, this guy is actually wanting to stand by my side, and he's telling me he wants to stand by my side. And you can think, well, my friends should know that. Can they really? They can't read your mind. People are touched when you clarify your commitment. We call it define the relationship. Have a DTR with them, right? That's what Jonathan and David did. You think, well, that's kind of cheesy. No, that's biblical. Like Jonathan actually said, I'm making a covenant with you, right? You don't need to use those words, but... Affirm your commitment to them and watch your relationships go deeper. So let me just finish with this. Why are these covenant friendships so important? Uh, 1 Samuel 23, 15 and 16. I just have two points. While David was at Horash in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horash and helped him find strength. In God, Why do you need covenant relationships? Because these are the people who help you find strength in God. I don't know about you, but I'm not always strong. God gives us weakness so that we need other people. I remember when we started this church, we, we started with no money. We had no contacts. We had no place to meet. But God blessed us, and people were coming to know Jesus, and people started jumping in with us. But then in a day, the enemy attacked, and it felt like it was all falling apart. We had these students that were getting radically transformed, and they were stopping their party lifestyles, and they were were going for Jesus, and all of a sudden their parents freaked out. They're like, why aren't my kids partying anymore? All they want to do is go to church. And they said, this must be some, like, religious cult or something. And we're like, we're not a religious cult. Cults hide everything. We share everything. But these parents started talking bad about us, and they started telling their kids that we don't want you to hang out. And I'm like, okay, your kids aren't sleeping around anymore. They're not drinking, and you're upset with us? Like, this is crazy. But anyway, that's what was happening. And at the same time, we had one older couple, like one couple with gray hair. And I was so proud of having a a gray-headed couple. And then I found out, no, they, 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 they weren't trying to serve us. They were just trying to use us for a pyramid marketing scheme. Like, that was the only reason they were there is they were trying to sell to all these young athletes. And so I had to confront them on it. And, man, they were, like, Volatile. And so in one week, it looked like everything was falling apart. And I remember driving my car down the road, and I started, like, everything started going black. I started, my heart started pounding. I was having an anxiety attack, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, I'm about to go down. I'm about to crash my car. And I immediately get on the phone and call Kendall. I said, man, I need help. And I got Jonathan on the phone as well. And and these guys dropped everything and took me out of town, and we went camping. And I remember we, we had a guitar. We sat out by a campfire. They were just getting me away from everything. They started praying for me. We started worshiping. I'll never be able to fully explain that moment, but the power of God fell on us. I mean, we all got knocked off our stumps. And the joy of the Lord just rained down on us. And that despair and anxiety was lifted in a second. You know, it might not be that dramatic for you, but I want to tell you, in your dark times, you need covenant friends to help you find strength. Strength. In God. And let me just say my last point here. My last point is this it comes from verse 17. Jonathan says, Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. We need covenant friends to speak our destiny over our lives. I talked about my brother in law, Robert Fuller. You know, I'll never forget the day he said, Robert, you're a great leader. And he goes, when I prayed for you, I saw you like an oak tree that many people could come under and find refuge. He just spoke my destiny over my life. You're going to be a great leader. I remember being asked to become a section leader, and, and he had been a life group leader before me. And all of a sudden, I was becoming a section leader, and he was going to be under my, my section. And he said, you know what? You should be that leader. You, it's right for you to lead. He could have been jealous I mean, he could have said, you know, I want to do that, but instead he affirmed that to me. And I I remember a a, a time right at the same time we were both in the same fraternity and we were running for chaplain of our fraternity and he got it and not me. You know, that's the deal. Friendships will be tested when your friend is rewarded or promoted and you're not. And the question is, can you be excited about that? And can you call your friend into your destiny when they seem to be getting a blessing that you're not getting? But I want to tell you, when you do that, that knits your hearts together, it binds you together, and that bond becomes a kingdom force because God works through community and God works through relationship. And I want to just tell you, this musical that we're about to do this next weekend, Robert and I realized, you know, although we're in the same type of, uh, of, of gifting, so oftentimes your friends will be in the same field as you. And so it, you could have a tendency to compete. But instead, we realized we're better together. So this musical we're doing this next week in this Christmas carol retold, we wrote it together and we produced it together. You know, God wants to use king, kingdom friendships to advance his cause on the earth. He wants to bring you together with people in this church to produce amazing kingdom outputs that change people's lives. That's why friendships are so important. It's not just because it's gonna encourage you. It's not just quit because it's gonna call you into your destiny, but it's because many destinies you can't do on your own. You'll never be all you're called to be if you try to go alone. God always calls us into things that are so big that we have to have each other in order to accomplish them. And that's what God wants to do in this church. Here's my dream. Why don't you stand up and let me tell you my dream as we finish. My dream is that this church would become so gifted at friendship that people would want to come and be a part of us because they know that they could find the love they've been looking for all their lives in our midst. Do you hear me? My dream is that we'd become so good at friendships that it would touch the body of Christ. And what if San Diego became known, what if the churches in San Diego became known for their great relationships? What if people started moving to this region because they heard that this region does relationships well? I I don't think that's like something too far-fetched to believe for. We're called to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, you're going to have the most wonderful relationships, but why not let them start happening here? This is what I want to do. Uh, Leaders, come forward really quickly. I want to tell you, the area of friendship, the area of relationships is some of the place where there's the most hurt, there's the most pain. We want to pray this morning. If you're just saying, hey, this message is touching me, I need healthy friendships. I don't feel like I have that. Or there's pain in my life through friendships. Or I just need someone to lay hands on me and pray for me to have healthy friendship. I want you to come forward and be prayed for. We want to pray for the usual things as well, physical healing, for people that need to give their life to Jesus. But if you just open your hands, congregation, right now, I want to speak a blessing of friendship over you. Father, I just bless my friends and family, my brothers and sisters now, to have healthy friendships. I pray that this church would be a church that has healthy relationships, and every lie that's been spoken over you that says, I'll never have good friendship, or I'm always rejected, we break that off in the name of Jesus. I say that you were created for good friendships. You were created for health. You were created for depth. Let's just sing one last song. If you need prayer, I want you to encourage you. Just come right now with faith in your heart. Come down forward right now as we sing one last song to finish our time.